0: As I said before, we're uh, looking at uh, Joel today, and to kick it off, we're going to watch this little, it's an impressive bit of art, isn't it, uh, if you haven't seen it before, it's uh, quite interesting, isn't it, how if you go around the side, there's couches and tables, and there's a whole lot, it looks like just a whole bunch of stuff stuck there, but when you get the right perspective, when you come and put it into the frame, when you get the big picture, it all falls into place, doesn't it, it all comes together. Well, it's great to think that there is a big picture, isn't there? Uh, It's hard to think if there isn't a big picture. Imagine if life, there wasn't a big picture. Uh, Just that life was this whole set of random events that just collide into each other and at the end of it there is nothing. There is nothing that holds it together. There's no reason for it. There's no rhyme to it. It's just a whole bunch of random events. I don't know about you, but that doesn't give me a great lot of hope in life, does it? But is there a big picture? Is there a big picture that we can hold on to? Is there a big picture that can give us hope? Is there a big picture that God has for us that can give us hope? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today as we look at uh, the book of Joel. Uh, Open it up, if you can, because we're going to go through uh, three sections of it today. Actually, we're going to look at the whole lot. But uh, Heather's going to come up and read three parts of it. And uh, in that, listen for some parts that help you understand what Joel's talking about, but also the timings of each of them. Have a think about the timings of each of the different passages and we'll think about that together after Heather has read it for us. Heather's going to come up. We're looking at Joel. It will be on the screen, but great if you've got your Bibles open as well.
1: This is um, Joel one one to four. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders! Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days, or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left the young locusts have eaten, What the young locusts have left the other locusts have eaten. Joel 2, 28-32 And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And from chapter 3, 17 to 21. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of the Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem throughout all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion. Amen.
0: Well, if you don't look on the back of the sheet and get a bit of an idea, uh, did you pick up what Joel was saying there? Uh, Three different examples gives us almost three time frames. Uh, You'll see that Joel is talking about the present in chapters 1 through to 2, and then the future in chapter 2, verse 18 onwards, and then eternity in chapter 3. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? As, as you look through Joel, it's like this sense he's giving us a picture of those different time frames to help us see that there is a big picture and that God's got a big picture. Uh, Joel is written probably about 800 odd years before Jesus. Uh, he's writing, as we think, towards Judah. Remember last week, if you were here, uh, at that point in time, Israel had been split in two. The northern part was Israel. The bottom part was Judah. Uh, Hosea preached to Israel, the top half, whereas Joel is preaching to Judah. Uh, Joel, we're not 100% of the time frame because there's no time frame markers really in the passage. If you read Hosea, right at the back of the beginning, it says, in the time of such and such, at the time of such and such, at the time of such and such, different kings. So you can actually time mark it, you can place it exactly. But for Joel, we don't have that. We don't have at this particular time. The only time markers have is regards to there was a great locust infestation that we're going to talk about in just a moment. So we're not 100% sure when it was written, but we are sure it was written to Judah because he talks about that. And we are certain it was written at a very tough time in their history because of what was going on around it. Uh, So what we're going to see as we go through, we're going to look at... Maybe. If I turn this on, that'll be really helpful. We're going to be seeing God's big picture as we go through this. And the first thing we're going to see is that God has the present. So chapter 1 of Joel, as uh, Heather read to you, you see that there is a real need that's happening in Joel's time, isn't there? There is a swarm of locusts and they're coming in and they're destroying everything. The picture's like devastation, isn't it? One lot of locusts come in, they wipe out. Well, what was left, the next lot of locusts come in, wipe that out. Then whatever's left after that... A whole lot of locusts in and come and wipe that out it's a terrible time for them Joel is in pain is Judah is in pain they are feeling like everything is being ripped apart on them and if you go down and you read a bit further you'll see too that um, there's looks like not only is that the case but because it's ripped everything there's a famine and then there's a drought And then if you get to verse 19 in chapter 1 as well, you see that it looks like there was fire as well. Almost sounds like Australia, doesn't it? Just need a flood and we'll be here. But it's this picture, isn't it, that in the middle of all this, times are really tough. Times are really hard. But yet at the same time, Joel is saying this is a warning. He's saying that this is speaking to Judah. It's a warning to them. Who knows what this is? You got a quick look at it earlier. It's a shark alarm. Do you know where it is? It's at the surf club. It's at Evans Head. Come on, we're in Evans Head. You should know where that is, although hopefully you haven't had to push it. Uh, but over the recent time, that's been installed down at Evans Head and if you push that button, a siren goes off And it's a warning, isn't it, for people to get out of the surf? A warning for them to get away. It's dangerous. There's something bad about to happen. You need to do something about this. Now, you can do two things with a warning, can't you? You can either heed it and get out, or you can ignore it and take the consequences. Or you can be like my son Hamish, who didn't actually hear the warning, but went surfing the day of which the warning went off in the morning and there was a sign stuck up in the beach that said that there had been a shark sighting and the beach was closed and he saw that but from a distance thought, oh, I don't need to look at that sign. I'll go surfing anyway. Stupidity? Maybe. Maybe like those that see helicopters telling them to get out of the beach but think that they can swim at the other end of the beach But well, there's no sharks at the other end of the beach, is there? Warning signs. You can either make good decisions or bad decisions with them, can't you? And Joel is saying the same here. He's saying to Judah that these swarms, this drought, this fire is a warning from God to them. It's a warning for them to turn back to him. Uh, look at two, Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. He says, "'Rend your heart, even now,' declares the Lord, "'return to me with all your heart, "'with fasting and weeping and mourning. "'Rend your heart.'" And not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Joel is saying to the people of Judah listen up, guys. This devastation in the middle of it, return to God. It's a warning. Come back to him. Come to him. He says, I want your heart. I want you to return to me. That's what Hosea was last week, too, wasn't it? If you read through the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about how there can be devastation, how there can be things, but the big theme of the Bible, right from the beginning to the end, is God saying, I want you back. Give me your heart. I want your heart. As he says, I don't want your garments, don't want your religiosity. I don't want you just to wear nice clothes to church on Sunday and think you're okay. I don't want you just to look shiny on the outside. But I don't want your heart. I want you. I want all of you. In the New Testament we find that God, Jesus says, doesn't he? The greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He wants all of us. Now we're not the nation of Israel in them anymore. And God's kingdom is spread out throughout the whole of the world. And so never again will we have specific things that are just on a nation because we're not God's nation anymore. Israel was specific to them and in that place. But we can look at disasters around the world and we can look at circumstances around the world and they can still be a warning to us to tell us that our priority needs to be our hearts given to God, to Him in everything. Because God's got our present; He's got that sorted. He knows that. He's got it sorted. and He knows where he's going with it as well. Because that's what he says in this passage as well. After he wants our heart, God's got the big picture and God's got the future as well. You see, from chapter 2, verse 18 onwards the themes, it, it, the scene changes. It's no longer about Israel or Judah just here and now. It's about what God will do in the future. And from verse 18 onwards, we get this picture of God who's going to restore and change and bring things about. And then in verse uh, 28, we get a beautiful picture of what God says is going to happen in the future. Look at Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, and tell me if you know where this is repeated in the Bible, where it comes to fruition. And afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From a Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said, and even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Does anyone know where that comes to fruition? Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Peter, as the Spirit has descended and they're speaking to the nations of all the people who are there, he quotes Joel chapter 2 and he says, today this is fulfilled in your presence. He says, before... We're in the, under the spirit of the law. Now we're in the age of the Spirit. We have moved from this circumstance into a new age that now the Spirit is poured out on all people who put their trust and believe in Jesus. You and I now live in that very age. That is what we live in. And this is pretty amazing, you know, because Joel was written 800 years before this point in Acts. And it comes to fruition. Imagine what the people in Judah are thinking back then. They've still got all this stuff going on. They don't see it happen. It's not till 800 years that they see it happen. But God keeps His promises, doesn't He? That's amazing, isn't it? 800 years later. You know, sometimes we don't see it happen here, do we? Sometimes we're unsure how it all fits together here. Sometimes we only see from the side and the lounge suite and the mess and the car bonnet and it looks like a crash scene. But God steps in and sees it from the big picture and he's got it sorted. He had the present sorted for Judah. He's got the future sorted as well, and he has yours future as well, and my present, yours and my present sorted as well. He's got it all, guys. He's got it all together, and it's always it's the same, isn't it? You notice that in that passage as he went through, as he said, it's the age of the spirit. He also said it was the age of salvation. He said today is the day of salvation, and that's the day that we live in. Now, and the picture is in Joel, it says, rend your heart to God, give everything to him, which we know means giving our hearts to Jesus, which we know means equals salvation. That is the period that you and I live in today. Have you done that? Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of that God wants to welcome you home. Today is a day that he wants to give you his spirit to live within you, to transform you and make you his own. Don't leave it to tomorrow. Today, immediate, now. And if you've done that before, well, today might be the day to return back though. Maybe you've felt a bit like you haven't been connected like Today is a day to rend your heart to God again because he's got your present sorted, guys. He's got your future sorted and he's got your eternity sorted as well. You see, that's what Joel does in chapter 3. When you read chapter 3, it's quite different again to chapter 2. Chapter three goes off in a different direction. If you read through it, you think, when's this going to be? Well, as you read through and you get to the end of it from verses 17 on that Heatherwick, it's a picture of eternity, isn't it? It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of God sorting it all. In first part of chapter three, it's like the judgment where he comes and people stand before him and decide whether they've given their lives to him or not in the past. And then it's the picture of what it's going to be like to live in that eternity. And though it's couched in the language of Judah and Israel, it's actually God's eternity he's talking about there. In Revelations, we get the river running out from the city, don't we? And we get the river there in verses 18 or 19. It's a picture of eternity that God's got sorted. And if you read chapter 3, there is no picture of repentance or return. because it's too late in chapter 3. If you read chapter 1, rend your heart to me. Chapter 2, today is the day of salvation. There's a chance. Chapter 3, it's judgment and eternity. He's saying, don't wait. Don't wait eternity don't wait for that moment we think down the track later on next year when i get things sorted when my life's organized when my family sorted is not wait don't wait because god's got eternity sorted god has it he has the big pe- picture he knows the present he's got the future and he's got eternity sorted and when we look at Jesus, we see how whole that is coming to fruition, don't we? We see that the promises that are made there are coming to fruition in him. He's the one that brings salvation. He is the one that guarantees eternity because he's the one that comes back from the dead to show that he does guarantee it. You see, what Joel is saying to the people of Judah, what he is saying to you and I here this morning is that he has got the big picture, going. He's got the present, he's got the future and he's got eternity sorted. Now that's hard to comprehend sometimes when we're in the middle of it, isn't it? It's not easy sometimes when we're in the middle of the hustle and bustle, when we're in the middle of the busyness, when we're in the middle of distress or sickness or difficulties. It's hard to gather that all together and hold it. But can I encourage you that it is true? that the book of Joel that was written 800 years before shows us comes to fruition in Jesus, Jesus does have it. He has got it. And Jesus shows us that. Just nice little flippy bits there, wasn't he? Is there a clip on the bottom of that somewhere? Can you see it? There. Yeah, I'm just going to show you this clip. You might have seen it before. But I just think it helps us to see that God has the big picture, even though we may think it's completely not that. I was born not in that, Melbourne, not Australia,
2: 1982, and my parents had no idea that I was going to be born without arms or legs. I was the only one that I ever saw without limbs my faith in Jesus Christ was sealed after seven years of wondering why God I was born this way. Uh, He answered me very clearly through John chapter 9 and I gave my life to Jesus at 15 after reading about how he came across a man who was born blind. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. This looks interesting. (laughs) And no one knew why he was born that way. I'm like, perfect. So I read on and in verse 3 of the ninth chapter, Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And I'm like, wow, God, if you had a plan for the blind man, you do have a plan for me. And that was the beginning of my personal relationship with Jesus. Youth groups were starting to call me, churches were starting to call me, opportunities were opening up everywhere for me to share my testimony. I was speaking in front of 300 sophomore public high school students. Three minutes into it, half the girls were crying. One girl in the middle of the room started weeping. She put up her hand and she said, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but can I come up there and give you a hug? In front of everyone, she came and she hugged me. She cried on my shoulder and whispered in my ear. No one's ever told me that they love me. No one's ever told me that I'm beautiful the way that I am. I couldn't believe it, it changed my life. At that moment, I knew God was ministering to her through me. It's not by my speech or my power, it was God. And my heart was ignited with a passion. And it was an awesome day to see one soul transformed forever that was when I knew I was called to be a worldwide evangelist today you don't know what God can do with your broken pieces until you give God your broken pieces and I want
1: you to know when you fall down
2: God's grace is sufficient God's hand. get back up. In the first seven years of ministry, God opened up doors for me to speak 2,000 times across 44 countries on six continents, from university campuses, 40,000 students in China, to India, where we're talking to sex slaves, to crowds in the jungle of India, 110,000 people, down to Indonesia and all of Southeast Asia, to speaking at congresses of nations like Colombia and Costa Rica where you see the leaders of that nation commit that country to the Lord Jesus To Korea and speaking to the next generation about depression and suicide and to Eastern Europe where we did Serbia, Slovenia, and Croatia Then doors in the Middle East the message of hope was spread throughout the whole Arab world That is God and we know We've just begun. By the grace of God, we have seen face-to-face a half a million souls. It's
0: amazing, isn't it? Uh, I might have showed something similar about Nick before, but I think what I wanted to show you, that was because imagine the family when he was born. Uh, Nick's own words as he was growing up thinking... God's where is your plan in this? How does this fit? But within that, God showed him, touched his life, brought him to himself, and then set him on a path that was to bring God glory by him being able to preach about Jesus. So thousands and thousands of people, and so he says something like 500,000 people have come to know Jesus in the time that he's been preaching, he's been going around uh, in different places. Now, I'm not saying all of us are going to be like that and have that much of an impact. But God has got a plan for us. God has got the big picture sorted for us. We may not even see it in this generation, but in generations to come, it may play out down that path. The people in Judah had to wait 800 years for that promise that God made to come fruition in Jesus and in the Spirit to be, in a sense, let loose on people throughout the world. It's amazing, isn't it? Can I encourage you to have a think through that, pray about what God is saying to you through this, in the circumstances that you're in. What's God got in store? Has God got the big picture to be able to trust him in that? Because the release that comes from knowing that God's got the picture means that we don't have to be worried and concerned and, you know, so held up and what he said, like chained is what Nick said in regards to our lives, that we can end up being bitter and withdrawn and holy in and because we feel like we don't know what's going on, but yet God has the big picture and he wants to release us to be people who seek his glory and show his works and his glory to the world in His Son, Jesus, and through your life. Can I encourage you with that? Can I encourage you to go home and pray about what that means in your life and the circumstances that you're facing at the moment? Be that really positive or be that really tough. God has your present. God has your future. God has your eternity because God's got the big picture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's sometimes hard when we're in the middle of everything that's going on around us, when circumstances don't seem to be going right, when situations seem to be out of control, when life doesn't seem to be the way we thought it was going to work out. But, Lord, as we read, Joel, as we look at your scriptures, as we see your word, we see, Lord, that you have the big picture and that you are working out all things, Lord, for your glory and for the good of those who love you. We don't know what that's going to look like, but, Lord, we can trust you and know that you will do that. In Joel, it was 800 years after he wrote before the nations saw that. Lord, we pray it's not that long for us, but, Lord, if it is, Help us trust you in that. And that may release us, Lord, from the burden, from the worry, from the chains that are withholding us, from living the life that you desire us to, to living a life that brings glory to you, to living a life that is saturated by Jesus, by living a life that is set free in Jesus, by living a life that helps others to be saturated in Jesus, to living the life that brings glory to you, Lord, we pray that you may release and take those chains off us so that we can do that, Lord. Take away the burden. Lord, as we rend our heart to you, as we give our hearts to you and you, Lord, we pray that your spirit will do a mighty work within us and set us free, Lord, trusting and knowing, Lord, that you've got the big picture and living in light of that wonderful truth. Help us by Your Spirit, Lord, to go out and live that way. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to sing the.